you hear this stuff and you're like, these guys couldn't have actually been that good. Nobody can do that on a banjo. That's not possible. And then, you know, you come around to it and it's like, you know what? They just didn't do anything else. They didn't check their email. They didn't go driving for eight hours to get to a gig. They just practiced all the time. <laughs> Greetings, everyone. My name is Keith Billick. Thanks for joining me for another episode of the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. If any of you are first-time listeners, thanks a lot for tracking me down. This is a place where we we laugh together, we cry together, and we learn a lot about banjos and banjo players. It's a lot of fun, and I hope you like it. For those of you returning, it's great to see you all again. Special thanks to this episode's Patreon sponsor. It is Wayne Bartlett, and a lot of you, if you're on Instagram or Twitter, you may follow a a user named Top Hat Banjo. That is Wayne's alter ego in the the Twitter sphere. Is that a word? I feel like I've heard that before. So, I went to check out Wayne's page, and true to form, there he is, looking great in his top hat, holding his banjo. So, I guess that just leaves me with the conclusion that us banjo players, we are straight shooters, honest, honest, good people. You go to Top Hat Banjo's page, you see a top hat and you see a banjo. You go to my page, at Banjo Podcast on Twitter, you get posts about a banjo podcast. So if anyone gets a chance, go check out his, he, he posts some videos and some practice tips on there that I, that I think you'll like. And Wayne, thank you so much for supporting the podcast. I encourage all the rest of you, if you if you enjoy listening to these episodes, please check out the Patreon page. It's patreon.com slash banjo podcast, and you can figure out how to be a supporter yourself of one of these episodes. You can also support the podcast by subscribing and rating on whatever podcast platform you use. Five stars, of course, by the way. And that helps me out a lot. You can spread the word about it on social media, share links. Drop me a line, too, if you have any comments, questions, suggestions, recipe ideas, you know, whatever. I like hearing from all of you. That's PickyFingersBanjoPodcast at gmail.com for those of you who want to email the show. Today's episode features Aaron Jonah Lewis. You may have heard the relatively short bonus episode that that I put out a few days ago, so I won't spend too much time introducing Aaron, but he's a good friend of mine. He lives here in Detroit. Although you wouldn't really realize it, he's he's on the road a lot. He travels the world playing fiddle, banjo, guitar, singing with all sorts of different groups, and you'll hear him talk about that. I, I mentioned in the previous episode, but he's truly one of the most talented musicians that I know on, on a number of different instruments. He's a multiple contest winning player on both banjo and fiddle. He has a very amazing beard. You should check out photos of of the beard. He has three first names. So just quite a specimen of of a guy. And he's a really nice dude and enthusiastic about music to boot. So I was really happy to have him on the show. Like I said, he he travels the world a lot. He actually, this is this is vintage Aaron for anyone who knows him. You'll you'll agree with this. He was he traveled to the Yukon Territory for a show just a few weeks ago, so that's early February, folks, in a van that did not have working heat. So, yeah, of course he did that. 
but he really loves playing music for people, so that's what he's going to do. This is a very educational episode, folks. It's not it's not the typical bluegrass demonstration. He's he's going to play everything from Swedish waltzes to classic banjo and I think you'll get a really good feel for the the breadth of his musical knowledge with this. Anyway, I know you'll enjoy hearing all those things that he has to offer. Here he is, Aaron Jonah Lewis. into the banjo which is pretty much as soon as I could get my hands on a banjo which happened as soon as I saw someone playing a banjo <laughs> I, I got I started out with bluegrass and scrug, scrug style and I was practiced that a lot for a while and played it a fair bit and still do and then pretty soon after that about a year after that I got into playing claw hammer and I still do that and it's it's just more more and more fun to do different things but um yeah I only got into playing classic banjo a couple years ago, pretty much two two years ago, and uh, it really it really hit hard when when that when that bug infected me. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I'm really hooked on it. That's great. Yeah. So I, I I'm aware of what classic banjo is. I've heard it before, but I don't know a ton about it. So assuming that maybe a lot of the listeners also are relatively unfamiliar with what classic banjo even sounds like. Are you able to give us a, a quick demonstration that'll at least give context to a lot of these other things that you might be talking about? Oh yeah, absolutely. How about I'll just play a little bit? Yeah, perfect. What uh, what what piece is this? Introduce it. This is a piece that I'm so proud of because it took me a really long time to get <laughs> it under my fingers. It's called the Ragtime Oriole, and it's a ragtime piece written by James Scott. And it was played on the banjo. It wasn't written for the banjo, but it was played on the banjo by Fred Van Epps. Okay. Yeah, let's let's hear it. Goes a little something like this. Thank you. 
<laughs> oh man, that was excellent. Yeah, so that that's kind of a, I guess a later period. Uh, so that's from the twenties, nineteen twenties, and I already have so many questions. Like, so so you said that that was not written for the banjo. What was that written for a piano? I believe it was written for piano. I've also heard sort of ragtime orchestra arrangements. Okay. Um, so that's more or less uh, an adaptation of maybe a, a horn section or something like that could be. I, I think it's piano. Really, it's like mostly the right hand, the, like the melody of the piano, and then on the recording that I got it from, there's a piano playing along okay. as well. So, is that pretty typical, or was there was there not a lot of music written for the banjo and most classic banjo repertoire? Is that transposed or is there quite a catalog of banjo pieces well there's a lot of stuff that was written for the banjo it's so cool this is kind of like the forgotten history a part of the forgotten history of the banjo uh this was part of what got me so excited about it because um i love bluegrass and i love playing it and I, i got really into that at first and uh i didn't really think about what came before because it's just so awesome and then, you know, then I got into claw hammer and old time and stuff. I'm like, oh, that, that's older than bluegrass. That's interesting. But um, what really kind of led to bluegrass technique and Scruggs style and like the finger picking uh, was this style of, of banjo playing, classic style, also called early finger style. So yeah. not to confuse it with bluegrass. But yeah, there were a bunch of different composers writing specifically for banjo uh, whether it was solo banjo or banjo and piano, banjo and second banjo, banjo quartets, banjo orchestras, and you know around the turn of the century, the twentieth century, that is the um, the banjo was the most popular instrument in in the U.S. It was super right. like you've probably seen pictures of those you know little clubs of banjo players all in their tuxedos. And <laughs> they stuff. still exist in in certain places. Yeah, uh, I think that's wonderful. <laughs> Um, but, uh, but yeah, it, it can't really be understated, like the popularity of the banjo in that time period. It was, right. it was like the electric guitar in the, you know, seventies through eighties, nineties, pretty much till recently. And it seems funny given a lot of the, the stereotypes and generalizations that exist now about banjo, but it was actually kind of more of a, an upper class, uh, society, type of of thing to see was was this yeah th- these sophisticated banjo players so yeah that's another real interesting thing i mean i i got into all the history stuff because of the music that mm-hmm. you know i kind of that's what led to it for me so i'm still learning a lot but uh what i understand is that the the classic banjo uh players were coming out of the minstrel tradition that's what was going on before people were before fingerstyle was really popular. And that's, of course, really important thing to know about, which I didn't know about sooner and wish I had. But um, basically, the minstrel shows form the basis of all of our popular culture, all of our popular entertainment. Wow, okay. And that consisted of a lot of different elements, but essentially it was white guys painting their faces black mm-hmm. and making fun of black people. Yeah, uh, yeah, some <laughs> some uncomfortable... Yeah, things to learn about. Absolutely. That's that's probably why I didn't learn about it sooner because people don't want to talk about it. But um, you know, that's that's a big part of the history of the banjo is sure. that it was originally, you know, it came from Africa. The people who were, you know, kidnapped and sold as slaves uh, 
they didn't bring banjos with them, but they brought the idea of the banjo with them and they made banjos and played them. Mm-hmm. And so it was associated with slaves and with plantations. And, uh, and so that was used in minstrel shows to, as part of the, part of the comedy, you know, to, to right. show like to plantation kind of life. This, this history of the instrument. Yeah, exactly. As a, as a part of a kind of a clown instrument and kind of a joke. And from what I understand, like the professional musicians who were playing the banjos, they, you know, got better and better at it <laughs> and they wanted to play better and better music on it. And yeah. over time they got influenced by other styles such as um, Spanish guitar playing, like oh, okay. classical guitar playing. And that's where the up-picking comes from. Really? Okay. So wow. the older style, the minstrel style is more like claw hammer, which I can't really demonstrate, but you know, it, it was, I think a little more uh, nuanced and, and, uh, Fancy like different time signatures would yeah. be involved. There'd be jigs and there'd be mazurkas and you know all kinds of uh, different things. But uh, kind of evolved into um, this finger style, which paved the way for more sophisticated music, more complicated stuff, and also allowed musicians to depart the minstrel stage for the first time and just play the banjo on a concert stage without blackface, without crazy costumes, without comedy bits and dance routines. And have it and, be more accepted as its own separate art form. Yeah, and, and so at the same time as that's happening, banjo manufacturers are real, finding ways to make lots of banjos for cheap, and they want to market them to people who can afford them, because traditionally banjos were always made by the banjo maker, by the banjo player, sorry. Okay. I don't know if... Um, you know they were they were marketed to the middle class and the upper class out of you know this this american greed kind of thing you know that's so typical uh or if it was more like people were playing this music audiences were excited about it and it became more in demand and maybe both of those things happened at the same time yeah could be um i do know just to kind of talk about upper class and and royalty and stuff the virginia minstrels I think they were the first kind of touring minstrel group who uh, actually went overseas to England. What year would we uh, be talking about here? This is the 18, sometime in 1830s or 40s. Oh, wow. And they were so well loved by the royal court in England that they they thought they were going to stay for a little while. They stayed for years. (laughs) And and, um, one of the royal family, I think it was the Prince, uh, Prince of Wales who became King Edward VII, played the banjo and he took banjo lessons and that's kind of from a one of the performers from one of the what um, did you say virginia the virginia minstrels yeah, okay. i'm not sure if he if it was from one of those guys or okay. or from someone else but but it you know when the king is doing doing it everybody wants to do it it's like he set the the tone yeah very cool so yeah banjo took off in england as well as in the u.s and the that minstrel uh, phenomenon was the kind of the first sort of uh, cultural cultural thing that uh, influenced other countries that like made its way outside of the U.S. Very interesting. And, yeah, yeah, like I said, it, it's like it set the foundations for vaudeville and for Broadway and for what we have now, music mm-hmm. videos and all the kind of um, mainstream popular entertainment. Like it, you can easily trace it back. 
you can see the same elements. Um, and I, again, I'm not an expert, but it's, it is really fascinating. I've got a whole shelf of books that I haven't read yet. <laughs> yeah, there's tons to learn about it. So going back to, to what you said about the, the playing style and how it was adapted, let's explain exactly for people what, what you were even doing performing that piece. You're, you're playing it in a finger style, but you're not wearing picks. Right. Why, why don't you go through kind of what the, the typical approach is for this kind of music? All right, yeah. So bare fingers, and my banjo does have a resonator, but they didn't really start putting resonators on these banjos until... Later on, I mean, 20s, maybe at the soonest. This banjo was made in the 1950s, which goes to show that people were still buying them people or, or making them anyway So yeah. for this kind of style of playing. But yeah, um, it's set up with nylon strings, uh, which originally would have been gut, but nylon, everyone agrees, is superior. They, they sound better and last longer and they're mm-hmm. cheaper. Except the fourth string, which is like a, it's a classical guitar uh a wound metal wound silver wound nylon nylon. core so and the standard tuning is um is just like open open g like you do in bluegrass except the fourth strings tuned down to c so that's like a home sweet home tuning for scruggs scruggs people yeah yeah exactly and that's um that's like what they call standard tuning now if you tune up to what we call g uh, bluegrass G. g that would be called raised bass tuning and there were a few other tunings that got used, but for the most part, everything's uh, most most everything's in that that standard tuning that what uh, became plectrum tuning. And what else? Like the bridge that I've got on here is really light. It's uh, it doesn't have three feet. It's only got two, and it's really thin. Huh. I think it's maple. And um, you know, when you use nylon strings, you don't need as much support. You have a lot less pressure sure. going into the bridge, so you can cut down on your mass and get more sound that way. Because steel strings will give you more sound in general, but just uh, not generating as much energy to to transmit through the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So nylon strings, bare bare fingers, no bare picks. fingers, and I'm using three fingers like you would in bluegrass. Uh, occasionally. In the music that I've gone through, they will call for the the ring finger, just occasionally. Okay, that's interesting. There's a lot of techniques. Is that more to execute a melodic line or a, like a, a chord cluster? Um, there's just one most recent thing I saw was just doing an arpeggio like that. Okay, uh, and sometimes it is for a chord cluster kind of thing. I'm trying to think of an example of that, but you know, and there's ways around it too if you. If you really don't want to, like sure. sometimes if you're playing um, four strings to play a chord, like what I've learned is the common thing, the, the traditional way of doing that is to glide the thumb over the the top two strings okay. and then up with the, the other two. And um, that's one example of many uh, just really different techniques that I've learned with the right hand like you know with bluegrass you've got rolls that's the basis for it it's it's not like it's dumb or or like doesn't take any thinking but there are these like clusters of notes that you can kind of fall into and you've got patterns that just sound great and with this stuff every bar of music is a new set of skills you have to learn so that that one i thought i'd mention is to me, like especially wacky, and it's taken a lot of practice to get halfway good at it. Yeah, which is that finger glide, and it goes 
down with the thumb a lot, like, uh, or, you know, that, that's thumb, thumb index. Yeah, you're, you're hitting two, two consecutive notes um, on different strings with the, both with the thumb. And then that also goes the other way, like with the index or the middle, like, uh, it, it happens a lot on this one, uh, piece. This is actually the oldest one I know. It's called Weston's Great Minor Jig. It's by Horace Weston, who's an African-American uh, banjo composer, banjo player. He was very famous in his day. S.S. Stewart actually wrote about him a lot. He was sort of used in uh, Stewart's advertisements and things like that. Uh, sort of a poster child for um, for Stewart banjos. Okay. So I'll play a little bit of that. And, and what is it that you're... you're demonstrating here the you, finger you, glide is what i call okay. it is when you're you're gonna play two uh strings that are next to each other with one finger okay not right away that's another thing that's connected like doing a, a chord but as part of a melody yeah so let me see here i'll i'll get to the part i'm, t- I'm talking about and then i'll stop and talk okay. about some more so yeah. like <laughs> Oh, that, there's one right there. Okay, that's not so dramatic, but it's like, what? That's weird. I'm going to get the hang of that. Yeah. i do it again there. Index, index. Thumb index. It's just so counterintuitive. Now, would you know, it be impossible to play otherwise, or how, how did you know to do that? Is the music notation such that it's... You know, a lot you're of the, reading that. Yeah, or? a lot of the music does tell you which fingers to use. In this case, it doesn't tell you, and I learned it all without doing the finger glide at first. And I was like, "This is so weird and awkward because mm-hmm. I'm jumping around. I'm going like, I'm going from a, a a low string to a high string, like from you know from the second string to the third to the fourth string, going thumb index thumb or something like that. And that's like." okay, I'm making it work. I'm just practicing it. I'm yeah. making it work. I think probably someone told me, like, you know, a lot of the time people would do this, slide the, kind the of finger across. Kind of a sweet across. picking. Pattern. Yeah, so, like, let's see, another section of this tune would be... Uh, there's There it is. It's index, index, thumb, thumb. And then, yeah, because then you have these... These patterns are like over four strings, but yeah, you only have three fingers. Patterns yeah. where... And then you get to the last section, it goes. So that's hardcore going, uh, you know, thumb on the third string middle on the first string and then index on the second string and the third string then thumb and that's just repeating yeah and especially getting it at at a precise rhythm yeah has, has got to be a whole nother challenge even beyond the the mechanics of it yeah Playing so it steady i mean to me like i never mastered bluegrass banjo i never became super great at it but Anyway, I was like, well, I'm just going to go ahead and do something that's a lot harder anyways, you know, <laughs> just kind of like, because playing roles really well, if you can play roles really well, it's not going to make you a master bluegrass banjo player, but it's going to get you far enough that you can probably jam with people and have a good time. Right. It's cool. This music 
roles is like such a it's it's an important thing that comes up in in pieces but it's not the entirety it's like you have to do so many other things there's a lot of single string work there's a lot of chord kind of action a lot of left hand jumping around a lot i'm not saying this to scare anyone away from it i'm trying to say like this is super fun because it's like if you like musical challenges and you like puzzle solving like right that's what this is it's like you look at this and you're like how how am i ever gonna do this have you found that <laughs> playing in this style helps when you go back to bluegrass playing does it give you different ideas to try or a different approach or are you able to kind of separate those two things in your brain and no for sure they're connected yeah i mean it's just right hand i mean whether i have picks on or not it doesn't uh doesn't really change a lot for me personally and i know some people play classic banjo music on a bluegrass banjo with picks and that's you can do whatever you want you sure know? it's like yeah there's no rules you don't have to get some old authentic instrument and put special strings on it i mean if you want to go over that route, I mean, I kind of got excited about it just because it's like something different. I don't know. I I really like the sound and the feeling of the bare fingers on the nylon strings. It's like yeah, it's a, it's a very you have a cool different, sound. It's definitely. a different kind of control. You have like I feel like you have a lot of dynamic control. Yeah, and like this connection to the tone that's really nice. You can get a lot of those more stately kind of syncopations that you need for that music. But yeah, it gives it a different feel that you wouldn't really be able to get on a on a bluegrass instrument, really. Yeah. So you kind of started to go into it, and we got sidetracked, but why don't we go back to how you even got into banjo in the first place? You said you were into it as soon as you saw it. When and where and how did that happen? So the I really have to mention Ben Belcher here, because he's okay. he's the guy who... He's the first banjo player that I got to kind of hang out with and watch him play. And he gave me his old banjo... And, uh, you know, we, I met him through another friend who we, we started a band together in Virginia and that was in like 2001 or two or something. Mm -hmm. And we, Ben and I are still playing together. He's the person that I've been playing with longer than anyone else that I still play with. And, um, he, uh, he was just learning too, but he, he kind of, he's really fast at learning and he's got, just got great musical instincts and, I love playing with him. He's just a really good friend, too. And um, he does a lot of different things, but he is primarily what you'd call a, like a bluegrass player. He wears the picks and yeah, the, the I, roles. And... I think you could... I might say like he and I both are like musicians who know enough about bluegrass to say, well, I don't really play bluegrass. <laughs> but like yeah. as far as the rest of the world is concerned, yeah, we play bluegrass. That's what they would say about know? it, yeah. yeah. But yeah, he can he can play straight ahead bluegrass and have it sound great it's not necessarily what he always does or like what he would first think of doing necessarily it yeah. depends who he's with you know just like just like anyone you play your style's going to change depending who you're with but yeah but yeah his style that he plays at least with me is like it's hard to describe i mean it's just like his own style there's definitely a lot of reno going into it yeah and uh i think he's had a lot of influence from uh from ragtime as rag well. Ragtime is is something that I hear in his playing, yeah. Yeah. So I met Ben, he gave me his old banjo. I kind of watched him a bit and then I, I was like, what do you, you know, what do you do? He, he recommended a book and I got the book. I was living in Maine at the time and I just practiced and practiced and I 
you know, I got this uh, upgraded to this good time banjo, which I still play it a lot and I love it. It's, yeah, it has a lot of miles on it, it looks like. It sure does. You know, it's got a lot of, uh, a lot of, it's been, it's been to a lot of countries and it's, uh, it's got a lot of good tone built into it. Although, you know, good times are somewhat limited in their tone, but it's versatile. I, you know, I play claw hammer, I play bluegrass on it and I, I did a lot of listening. I still do a lot of listening, but you know, in those early years I was soaking it all in Scruggs, of course, and, and Don Reno and just, it's like, these guys are so different from each other. How do I do any, like, it's, does it have to be one or the other? Am I going to never be good at anything if I try to do everything? Right. Because I really fell in love with Don Reno's playing. But Scruggs, of course, is there too. And and we should probably at least frame all of this by saying that banjo is not even actually your primary instrument. You're You're mostly a fiddler, so... When you say that you were playing with Ben and he turned you onto the banjo, that I assume that that's what you were doing with him, right? You were fiddling, yeah, along with his his banjoing, and that's still mostly what you perform with. Is yeah, the fiddle. Exactly. That's right. Yeah, I am. Uh, I think I'm mostly known as a fiddler. I mean, if you go to my website, the pictures of me with a fiddle, right? <laughs> but there's also pictures of me with a banjo. But yeah, I, I'm definitely a fiddler. That's. Uh, I win my prizes playing fiddle. I've gotten, I've won some banjo contests, but uh, but yeah, mainly mainly people call me to play the fiddle. Yeah, um, and I love playing the fiddle. What I have said is that the fiddle is my wife and the banjo is my mistress. Ooh, because I, I kind of have to sneak Salacious. around, have to sneak around with the banjo. You know, <laughs> like every my public persona is fiddle player, but it's my banjo tabloids. My true passion is the the ban- like what I think about. All the time, it's like oh, playing the oh. banjo. I'm just always thinking about. Well, it. you're in good company with, with uh, the audience here. I, I think we all probably suffer that affliction. Such a wonderful sickness. Cool. <laughs> I was just about to play. Uh, I guess this uh, uh, Pete Seeger arrangement of Cindy, which um, you know Pete Seeger is uh, famous for his activism and his folk singing and his. Uh, a lot of great things that he's done. Uh, people often overlook what an amazing banjo player he was. Mm-hmm. He had his own style, and he did amazing things with it that uh, I tried to copy once. <laughs> this is one of those. Yeah, so that's quite a quite a mix of non-pick finger style on the steel string banjo going into some some claw hammer. Yeah, and I was just thinking about like, okay, this is so counterintuitive, but then pretty much anything you do with a banjo is counterintuitive at first, and then it just feels really natural. So 
I was thinking like comparing early finger style to bluegrass. It's like, well, bluegrass, once you get into it, it's like, oh, it's just easy. Like you just forward roll, baby. Just, you know, you, there you go. It's all good. And then classic banjo is like, ooh, this is a lot more complicated. But then right. when you get used to that, it's like, oh, this isn't too petty either. It's like you get you get the hang of it. Yeah, learn learn some tricks and, and patterns maybe. Yeah. So so how did you how did you learn after that? Were you were you always moonlighting with the banjo or was there a period where that was your primary thing and what did you do to to keep learning? You know, I played um I don't know when when I actually first I can't remember when I first was allowed to play the banjo on a stage. I was definitely working away at it in secret for a long time. Yeah. It's hard um, to be secret with the band though, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> when I moved to Berlin, I think that's when I got a lot more... Um, I, I got known as a banjo player over there because I showed up... The first time I went there, I didn't have a banjo with me, and everyone was so excited that I played the fiddle. They were like, we need you in our band. Can you teach me lessons? And everyone, I was like, okay, great. I'll be back in six months, and... I'll be the fiddle player. I'll I'll stick around. I'll do this because I was moving there, and and that was uh, 2009. I moved there in early 2010, but I was hanging out there in 2009. And I got there, and in between the time I had, had been there and uh, when I got back, another fiddle player or two had swooped in, and and I was like, hey, I'm here to play the fiddle. Kind and they're of like, stole your oh, thunder. Yeah. We, we already have a fiddle player. But do you know anyone who plays the banjo? <laughs> I said, "Oh, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll play the banjo." And um, we were doing um, mostly like early jazz. People were doing like ah. you know hot club kind of stuff, and so then plectrum? also Dixieland. Yeah, so plectrum. Okay. But I didn't want to play pe- plectrum. I played five string, and so I could like demonstrate a little bit of. That like I just learned how to do this from doing it. I was just thrown into it. You know, I was playing on the street a lot. We played a lot of hours every day. Just busking. Yeah, just busking, playing on the street, playing in bars and cafes and whatever. And uh, I used a, a metal thumb pick. Nowadays, I mostly use a plastic one. But I don't know. Like, what's one that I I loved playing the chic. And you know, sometimes we'd be in G, but a lot of the time we're in. B flat or F or A flat or E flat. So I just, you know. Like horn keys? Yeah, I just learned to cope with that. And, you know, you, with the open tuning, with that tuning, it's like, it's not that complicated. You play chord shapes, there's like three inversions per chord. Right. Um, unless it's uh, diminished or augmented, in which case there's no there's one shape. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So it's pretty straightforward. You've got basically three strings to worry about because the Ds are doubled, and you're usually playing the same. Anyway, just saying, I did it the the easiest, stupidest possible way, and it worked fine. Yeah. So I really enjoyed doing that. But like, you know, the Chic, for example, or maybe maybe Sweet Sue. That was always fun. Like. Sweet Sue, just you and the moon up high knows the reason why. Sweet Sue, yeah, baby, that's you. Now no one else has seen ever shares my dream. Not just you, I do in this heart of mine. We'll live all. 
So I, yeah, mostly I'd just be like the rhythm guy. Occasionally I'd do a solo and occasionally if it was in G, I would throw in a little bit of flute. Yeah, like, some just to drive the jazzers crazy. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh man, I played with this one guy a lot who um, definitely wasn't like friend material, but he, he he was working and he wanted me to play with him. And I was like, "This is work. I'm doing it." And he was from Boston. Okay. And he hated anything. This is southern. still in Germany, you said. Yes. Okay. He's an American, and I'm not going to say like everything about him was bad. He's a bad guy. He working with him was solid. He was, you know, he he's had the work ethic. It's like showed up on time. We we worked. We made money. I said, see you later. Yeah. He he had a. I remember one time I played. Uh, you know, we just had a lull on the street, and I played um, "Dear Old Dixie." Okay. Which everyone knows, great tune. And so everyone's, you know, in the band, they're playing along because it's easy enough to follow. And afterwards, he says, what was that? That was great. And I said, it was called Dear Old Dixie. And he says, so I don't like it anymore. (laughs) (laughs) What, just because it had a a hillbilly name? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I guess so. What does he expect? It's a, yeah, it's a banjo. There's like six different tunes named Dixie something or other. Yeah. So, yeah, that that was a a phase in Berlin. I did a lot of... um, a lot of that kind of music. Uh, I learned a lot of tunes, and that really kind of helped out my my fiddling too, because that enabled me to just jump in and play any of those tunes on the fiddle, because I already I'd already learned them. Yeah, yeah. So, and then also in Berlin, I played. Um, I started playing solo shows because there wasn't anyone to play old time music with, and at the time, so I was doing Clawhammer with my good time, and and uh, that was really cool. I'm doing more solo stuff these days, so I'm incorporating newer things that are part of my musical life. But another cool thing that I did in Berlin was um, was to get into playing Turkish music. Ooh, which uh, they wanted very me interesting. To, they wanted me to play the banjo because there was already a fiddle player in the band. And um, when I recorded with this group, I used my good time because I didn't have this banjo yet. But now I just put down the good time and picked up this one. Yeah, describe the instrument that you have here for us. Okay, so I was playing Turkish music, and even before I got into that, I had always thought, wouldn't it be cool to play a banjo without frets? Because mm-hmm. I'm a fiddler, I'm used to fretless, you know, I think it's really fun to slide and have that kind of flexibility of where you where the notes sound in terms of pitch. Um, and at one point I was at Clifftop and someone handed me a fretless banjo, and I was like, what? You mean this is a thing? Because I just <coughs> dreamed about it. And well, yeah, of course. Like the original banjo was fretless. Like they didn't put frets on them until sometime in the 19th century, but they were around for years yeah, before that. Yeah. So I wanted to play this Turkish music, which which has notes that are between the notes. You know, it's not a Western diatonic scale. They've got other notes that are between right. The, you know, quarter tones. The and white whatnot. key and the black key. Exactly. Like, there's a, a third key in between there. Right. It's such cool music. I mean, it's it's so I don't know. Anyway, I, and this and this instrument then it's it's actually in some ways by far the most bluegrass uh instrument that you have 
it's got a resonator and like a master tone style pot. But then the neck <laughs> is completely berserk. Yeah. And, so the neck is, uh, yeah, so this is like a master tone copy that a friend of mine built from a Stumac uh, collection of parts from Stumac. Okay. And and he, he was kind of a designer, producer kind of person. Charlie Hardy is his name. He's in London. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think he's making lots of banjos, but anyway, cool guy. Hey, Charlie, if you're listening. <laughs> he said, well, what do you want the fingerboard to look like? And I said, well, I think it should be Formica. And he said, okay, here's a, here's a catalog of Formica patterns. There's a thousand patterns in there. Pick out the one you want. And I just couldn't because there, like, there was like zebra stripe. There was overwhelming. Like, there was like fake wood styles, which I thought would be hilarious. Okay. There was like metallic holographic, you know, options. There right. was like so many. You could get paisley. You could get polka dots. You <laughs> yeah, just anything. Anything. Yeah. <laughs> it was too much. I had options paralysis. And he said, well, how about since I'm making the thing, you just let me decide. And so he made it just a solid color and it's like teal, I guess is the name of this color and i love it it's you know the, the and it matches your van by the way People right we'll just have to take our word for that right. but he, he has a matching minivan. van yeah <laughs> coincidence because I, I i didn't paint it that color and when the person who painted it that color did paint it they didn't know that i had this banjo yeah they had strange this banjo. but <laughs> it's i think it looks cool it doesn't look like a traditional banjo of course and like you said fretless so it's but, just this yeah bright teal fretless neck the tuners are ebony so it's got this nice you know it's a little bit subdued except for the the whole fingerboard which takes up most of the visual space um and he actually did he got the headstock to have that for mica on it as well mm-hmm. which isn't it's, it's cosmetic but it's you know it looks really cool yeah um so yeah, so yeah. I, what did you, you use know, that for? Turkish music. So you I played said? Turkish music. You know, like um, when you when you want to play in between the notes. Oh, there's a pus there. That's a, what's a good example of that? Um, I don't know. There's like. Okay, I haven't done this yeah. in a long time. Um, so, so yeah, I I got this. Uh, I got this. Uh, this my friend made this banjo for me because I wanted a fretless bluegrass banjo to play with this band because it was a big band. There was a clarinet and trumpet and violin and two percussionists playing loud, loud drums, and uh, it was so much fun. But I also used it for 
you know, some of my solo stuff, I'd play some claw hammer, some, some finger picking stuff. And I know I did some recording on it, like some recording with it where you can play really nice, quiet stuff with it, you know, like mm. really subtle, like. You get this vibrato on it. You know? Right, very wide. And, you know, if you if you really go for it, you don't even need to pick the string. You can just... Anyways. Uh, and, yeah. I mean, I played, like... I enjoyed playing uh, Swedish waltzes on it, too. You know? Yeah. you're definitely not one to take the road most traveled. I think, I think that's becoming obvious to all of us hearing Swedish fretless waltzes and, and Turkish music and, and ragtime melodies. You never actually told us what this ban- what the banjo was for the, that you played the classic piece on. Yeah. So I got this banjo two years ago when I attended the banjo gathering for the first time at the suggestion of my pal, Greg Adams. I, w- I actually want to give some shout-outs to all the people who helped me discover and get excited about classic banjo. Right. Um, my first exposure to it was through Curly Miller and Car- Carol Ann Rose, who had a band called the Old 78s, and you can find their stuff on the Internet. Um, and they were influenced by Clark Buehling, who's still around, still performing. Sure. He's in Arkansas. And that's where uh, Curly and Carol Ann were. Uh, slash R. Uh, Curly died a few years ago, but uh, his uh, his memory lives on very strong, very strongly uh, with at least a lot of us. I remember I was at Clifftop. I was there with my my old band with Ben, and we I think we were there to to try and win the band contest, which we did. I'm very proud of that. And Carol Ann came over and she said, "I heard you guys play the Russian rag," and we said, "Yeah, yeah, we do." She said, "Well, come with me right right away." So, so she took us over to to their campsite, and she said, "Curly, these guys play the Russian rag." And, and did you know who these people were no, at the time? No, okay. I didn't know them. I I didn't know who they were, but they were friendly. They were cool. Right. And uh, and you know, the Russian rag is is not a lot of people play that. It's a it's yeah, a, I've it's never. A, I don't think I've heard it, but it's a ragtime piece from I think it was written 1916, but Dave Apollon made it famous. I think he he had a great version of it that was recorded in the 20s. So she said, well, we have to, let's all play the Russian rag. So we said, great, yeah. So we played the Russian rag. And, and Curly played it early finger style, classic style. Yeah. And Ben played it his own style, that he had come up with this awesome arrangement. If you look for Russian rag of, you know, me and Ben playing it on YouTube, you'll there's a lot of versions of him. It's amazing what he does with it. Okay. So, you know, I, I just but like... he was playing it more or less bluegrass adaption style right like yeah okay yeah i mean like with with finger picks yeah. and 
maybe not doing lots of roles, but like he's he's playing the melody. Yeah. Um, so I was like, you know, Curly, it's great to meet you, and not to be disrespectful or anything. Like that sounds cool, but like, why not use a resonator banjo with steel strings and finger picks? It would be louder. You could play faster. And it, that's when he started telling me about the history of this and like why he does it that way. And it really was interesting. And it took me a few years from that point to to actually get interested enough to try it myself. And what kind of turned the tide for me, well, there's two things. One was getting asked to, um, so when Curly passed away, they had been in the middle of a recording project, and Carol Ann asked me to to take his place and kind of finish the... Oh, wow. Because Curly was also a banjo player and fiddle player. So they wanted me to play the fiddle parts, and Greg Adams was going to play the banjo stuff. Oh, how cool. And Greg, it's, that's how I got to know Greg better. But I also met Greg at Clifftop. Greg is super friendly and uh, encouraging and supportive and big influence on me in the in the banjo playing. And not in to general. mention just a, a huge well of knowledge yeah. about all these things. Oh, uh, he's a monster. It's amazing. So we were all doing that project together and we were doing some of these really cool classic banjo pieces and I was playing them on the fiddle. And I was like, are these really meant to be played on the fiddle? And they said, well, maybe, maybe not, but it's it's what we were going to do. You know, Curly was going to do it. And so... You know, and I was like, great. So we did it. We had a great time. Uh, the record has not been released yet, but it's really, really close. <laughs> to being, oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, keep your eyes out for it. it I think it'll be under the name The Old 78s. Uh, I think it's going to be called The Final Frontier. So after that experience of seeing Greg play those pieces up close, I was like, okay, I'm I'm interested. I feel like I I should learn how to play this stuff on the banjo and not just play the melodies on the fiddle. Greg yeah. gave me this folder, that top folder there is full of sheet music that he gave okay. me. He's like, these are all duplicates that I don't need. You can take this and learn the melodies and play them on the fiddle, and the next time we see each other, we can jam. And so I, I started looking at him, and I was I got out my banjo, and I was like, you know, this is really cool. This is made for the banjo. Like, this stuff, so, you know how uh, there's things that on the banjo just just roll out and they kind of make sense and it's mm-hmm. like intuitive and it, it feels, yeah. feels good on the fiddle. It's the opposite, like something like an arpeggio, like a playing a role, like, you know, like a standard, you know, yeah. something like that. Is yeah. Like, it's kind of silly. It sucks on the fiddle. Yeah. <laughs> and then vice and versa. Vice versa of yeah. Course, there's yeah. a lot of stuff that's easy on the fiddle, like a straight, a straightforward melodic scale uh, on the banjo is like, ouch, this is, why is this so weird? Uh, so these pieces were written for the banjo, like you asked earlier, were they written specifically for the banjo? And yeah, a lot of them were. So that's kind of what gave me the motivation. And I went to the banjo gathering, uh, two years ago and, uh, Kevin Enoch had this banjo and it's a senorita that was a five string senorita with a little resonator on it. And it's, it's got kind of like a slightly deeper pot than you would usually see on a bluegrass banjo. Yeah. It's made by, uh, Bacon and Day, right? Yeah, it's Bacon and Day model. It's actually this was manufactured by Gretsch, but uh, this, oh, the Senoritas were okay. a really popular model. They were around for a few decades, from the 30s to the 50s, and they went through a few different manufacturers. Now, is this would this be kind of a common instru- type of instrument to see for a classic banjoist? Is there is there an accepted like Gibson Mastertone of the of the classic banjo world? 
I think um, I think Stewart banjos are really common. Okay. Um, Fairbanks and Cole are also really bacon banjos are also really common, and this is just one of many. And it's not the highest end either. It's not like a super valuable instrument, although it turns out it is somewhat rare because by the fifties, most of the banjos that were being made under this model name uh, were four string banjos. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they can get pretty ornate as well. Yeah, yeah, especially those tenor banjos too. They they get, I mean, those are more like to look at than to play. Jewels on them and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that's funny. What would you recommend people do if they want to start getting into this stuff? I imagine it could be pretty intimidating. How, I mean, you kind of said more or less how you learned is that Greg Adams gave you this pile of sheet music, but you had the good fortune of being brought up with the violin and you knew how to read music. How could... Is that an essential aspect of this? Like if someone wants to get into classic banjo, is that is that just something they're going to have to face, is you're going to have to read music? I think sooner or later you're going to have to learn to read music. Okay. I'm, and we're talking staff notation. We're not talking tablature. Right. Um, there might Is there classic banjo tablature out there? I think there is some out there, but okay. it'll only take you so far. Right. Partly because not everything's in tab, and partly because tab is it's kind of like a halfway point it doesn't actually go it doesn't actually convey as much information as you need so i don't want to discourage anyone from from using tab but just understand it's a temporary thing it's it's not going to get you as far as you want to go so what resources are there are there um there's this book that i think is really great and i i use it for people that i teach i yeah you could just contact me because i teach skype lessons <laughs> yeah well there um, you go but uh no there's a few resources i'll mention the one is this book i i love this book it's it's called uh five string banjo method by frank bradbury and it's available from mel bay it's like you can probably find a used copy online for 20 bucks there's a website that was really helpful for me and i i think for anyone it would be really helpful it's called it's it's classic hyphen banjo dot n i n g dot com. Uh, what is that? Is that a country code? Ning is like a it's like GeoCities or something. It's like an old school web domain kind wow. of very thing. strange. Yeah, so that that part's weird. But if you go and look <laughs> at the thing, it's like such a great resource. They've Leave it got... to classic banjoists to have this very bizarre <laughs> website. Yeah. I I can't sing its praises enough. There's uh, all kinds of resources from like, what is classic banjo, question mark, to um, player biographies and composer biographies to like thousands of free downloads of sheet music. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, anytime I'm like, I wonder if there's a... I wonder if there's any pieces out there with the word lobster in the title. (laughs) You can just type that in the search box. Something will come up. (laughs) But, um, you know... I listened to your episode with Davy Jones and uh, Sunflower Dance is kind of the gold standard for a beginner piece. Oh, that, that's good to know. It's a great place to start because it's, I don't know, it's achievable, but it's also not uh, boringly easy. Yeah, uh, it's got a nice melody still. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, YouTube, There's you can uh, you can search classic banjo. There's a lot of people are just modern hobbyists putting up videos of themselves who are the um, uh including myself <laughs> right yeah you have plenty up there and and it always sounds really cool i like it when i see a new video from your from your channel there so who are like the 
the Earl Scruggs and Ralph Stanley and J.D. Crow of the classic banjo world, what are the what's the Mount Rushmore that you need to know? Okay, Fred Van Epps. Okay, he he was. Some people say he was not the best banjo player that ever lived, but he was an incredible technician. He could just do anything on the instrument. Okay. I've heard people critique his musicianship, and I'm like, you know, the guy can play fast. He's playing fast. It's okay. He, can, <laughs> he wants to play fast. Let him play fast. Yeah. But it's intimidating for sure, but it is completely uh, marvelous. And um, he was also kind of the youngest of that generation of, of players who achieved that level of virtuosity. Uh, so he he was recorded more than anyone else. He was recording since the late 19th century up until 1952 or four, I think was his his last um, recording. And he just got better and better with age. So Fred Van Epps is, yeah, I mean he's he's just like kind of unbeatable. Definitely one of the guys. But uh, Vess Osman also needs to be mentioned because you know he was pretty much just as good as Fred Van Epps just was older and didn't live as long. So didn't record as much. Sure. Um, I even heard a recording of Fred Bacon, who, you know, this, these banjos are of named Bacon after. And, Day. Okay. and it was mind blowing. Wow. It was like, Oh my God. And it's so inspiring and intimidating because you hear this stuff and you're like, these guys couldn't have actually been that good. Nobody can do that on a banjo. That's not possible. Right. And then, you, you know, you come around to it and it's like, you know what? They just didn't do anything else. They <laughs> yeah. didn't check their email. <laughs> they didn't go driving for eight hours to get to a gig. They just practiced all the time. Yeah. And, and <laughs> certain things happen when you practice all the time. One of which is you get really good at whatever it is that you're, that you're practicing. Oh, my God. That's great. Like head exploding levels of just, yeah, I mean... And yeah, anyone cool, who plays the banjo should should hear this stuff. I'm not saying you need to try and play it. If I totally encourage you to try and play it because it's it's really fun. And even if you only get a couple bars of it, it's like, man, I just did a crazy thing. Yeah, so, it, it'll, it it seems like the perfect thing. Even if you're not going to jump into it with with all your might, it might be one of those really cool things where if you're at a a plateau in your playing and you don't really know what to work on and what should I do? Maybe trying to look into a few of these things or at least listen to it and try to get a different, a different sound in your head to, to inspire your playing. Always a good yeah. idea. I was going to say something like, um, bluegrass is like checkers and this kind of music is like chess. But to be fair, I'd say more like claw hammer is like checkers. Bluegrass is like backgammon. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> and this stuff is like chess. Right. It's just so it's I mean, it's intricate and there's a lot of um space for musical expression. Mm -hmm. There's like it's not all uh fast like um well I'll play a little bit of uh the intro for the Banshee, which is like one of the first pieces I learned because I got it from Greg Adams. It's, yeah, cool. This is just a beautiful piece. And keep in mind this is coming from uh before bluegrass and also before jazz mm -hmm. so this kind this kind of music is i thought that uh this was like the banjo version of ragtime because ragtime i thought was piano music but actually this predates ragtime and kind of informed the the approach to ragtime so 
this is this big part of American uh, and British music history, and it, it often gets overlooked. It was really, really popular in its time. What's it called again? So this this piece, yeah, or this is called the Banshee. Yeah, okay. It's by Emil Grimshaw, who's another one of my favorite composers. He's from um, from England, and he actually was a guitar maker. I was also going to mention something about the bacon banjo thing because the way it worked in those days was uh, there's kind of a ceiling to how successful you could become as a performer. It's like, okay, you're a famous performer. You can only play so many dates a year. You can't sell records. You can't get played on the radio and get royalties. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not going to play stadiums or anything because there wasn't yeah. any of that available an <laughs> at the time. There wasn't any recording technology. So the next thing you would do is make a tutor book, uh, you know, a, a teaching book, right? Uh, educational stuff. And then if that went really well and you were like, okay, I can't keep making books. I've already made 10 of them. Uh, then you start making instruments. And that's oh, wow. how bacon banjos got started. That's how uh, a bunch of these um, instrument companies got started was because, uh, you know, Fred Van Epps was making banjos too because it was the same thing. It's like, well, I'm, I'm recording and I'm, I'm writing books, but like, what else can I do? Yeah, I need a little more. <laughs> if I have a banjo with my name on it, someone's going to buy it. Yeah, okay, I'll play a little bit of the Banshee for you. cool and then it goes into the fast part <laughs> which is awesome too uh very contrasting so yeah there's there's like I, I don't know another thing i love about this music is that it it's comes from a time before um forms got really set before like patterns of chord progressions and things not to say that that bluegrass or old time is is like super standard like of course, there's standard chord progressions, but then there's always a song here or there that's like, well, that's different. This stuff, a lot of it's really different. And, it's just uh, almost random seeming. Yeah, you, you face some really interesting uh, interesting variety. And uh, it's like people are trying stuff out. You know, the composers of the time, they had this this great ambition to create the great American music as a, a sort of a response to Western classical music. And, and there was a lot of, uh, a lot of hope around that, a lot of, uh, pride. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, also the British guys too, they were writing music and it's, it's like, we're making, we're doing something new. And it was contemporary with people like, 
Debussy and Rachmaninoff. It's like it, those guys, those who we think of as classical composers now, they were contemporary at that time. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, they were all palling around. Yeah. Very cool. Hey, yeah. tell everyone how to find you and your music online if, if they want to look into this stuff or, or maybe, like you said, get some lessons from you to get started. Oh, yeah. Honestly, the, the most of this stuff that I have out there is on my Instagram, which is just my name, Aaron Jonah Lewis. Or, no, there's an at sign before it, I guess. <laughs> uh, I've got lots of little one-minute or less clips on there, uh-huh. and they're all pretty informal, you know. Just whenever I feel like it, I can pull out the phone when I'm working on something. Uh, I have a website, which is myname.com, AaronJonahLewis.com. That's got my uh, contact on there. You can send me a message through that. You can also send me a message on Instagram or on Facebook. I've got a Facebook page. It's, you guessed it, Aaron Jonah Lewis. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that, that about covers it. My website doesn't have videos on it, so... Uh, it does have uh, a lot of stuff you can listen to. Like, I'm trying to make a record this year. I'm trying to figure out because uh, I'm not really doing it solo because I need I need people to play with me. But it's going to be kind of a solo record, and I'm trying to focus on the classic banjo stuff. But uh, you know, got to figure out uh, the rest of the puzzle pieces. And uh, sure. when that's when that's ready, I'm going to tell everyone about it, especially if they're following me on you know social media social stuff yeah i also send out uh emails about every month or two with uh stories from my life and my touring and where i'm playing and stuff like that so if you want to be on my mailing list send me a message with your email address and i'll add you to my list and uh if you want to read uh sample messages or just read whatever i've got without signing up that's on my website too if you go to the website and click on the news tab that's all that's all that is. Excellent. Well, hey, you've given us yeah. a ton to think about. I, I'm definitely not very familiar with, with any of these types of music that you've been going over. So it's been very educational. And I appreciate you uh, meeting up with me and, and getting to talk about all this. Absolutely. I'm so happy we could do this. Yeah. yeah. If, if I could uh, uh, have any one thing to come away with it, it wouldn't be to play this or don't play that it would just be uh stay open to whatever's going on around you and and uh, hang out with whoever's playing music whether it's something you know about or not there's something to learn there and you don't have to do what you think you're supposed to do you can just do <laughs> do, do, anything. do what you want and what you think sounds try, good try it out see how it goes yeah i couldn't agree more well hey thanks again <laughs> man yeah thanks thanks to you keith i love the podcast Thanks. And that's going to wrap up today's episode of the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. Special thanks to our Patreon sponsor of this episode, Wayne Bartlett. If you enjoy the podcast and would like to become a sponsor yourself, go to patreon.com slash banjo podcast. Email the show at pickyfingersbanjopodcast at gmail.com. And that's all I have to say for now. I'll see you all next time.